Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. with Hutton and Withrow underway from 6th and Peabody. The Monday edition is here across the Outkick network, YouTube, and online at outkick.com. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Bobby Carpenter joins us in 20 minutes. Big college football headlines to discuss. Charlie Arnold from outkick.com with us coming up at about an hour and 15 minutes from now. The very special guest, Charlie Arnold. Uh, looking forward to that. Plus Skip Holtz in hour number three. Uh, former uh, Division One college football head coach, now back in the USFL playoffs uh, with the Birmingham Stallions. Chad, good afternoon. Hutton, you know what this show always needed? More balls. And that's what we got in front of us right now on this video screen. Yes, I don't know if did. you noticed that. I just looked up and said, look at that. Finally, everyone gets their wish. This show has more balls. <laughs> and that's what we got. More balls. They're lighting up in front of us. It's getting me excited. I'm ready to go. Did we get the U.S. Open? This this year, this go around uh, in totality, I'm, I'm sitting there watching the final four or five holes yesterday. Wyndham Clark props. Congratulations. The most consistent uh, from Thursday through Sunday. And, and he wins at 10 under. But I'm sitting there going, man, I, I feel like over the last three and a half days. And I spent a lot of time watching this uh, with my dad over the Father's Day weekend. I was almost having to hype myself into the fact that, yeah, this is the U.S. Open. This is it. And it, it hit me. I, was like, I really never felt like it was based on the low scores on Thursday and Friday. The course was set up to go low and not just score and grab some headlines, but like all time records fell. Johnny Miller's 50 year record of the lowest score at a U.S. Open at 63 uh, shattered because not one, but two players shot 62 on Thursday, another player in the tournament shot 63, and this is supposed to be the toughest test in golf, and I think things evened out over the course of the weekend, but I just I felt like Los Angeles Country Club, the atmosphere was really bad. Uh, it's, uh, they were hesitant to even host it for years, and when they finally did, membership bought up most of the tickets, and the, the, the 23,000 tickets, 17,000 of them, or 14,000 of them were hospitality only, which are the, you know, the suites and everything else behind the, behind the course. So you had 9,000 general admission, and the energy, the atmosphere just lacked uh, for me. But you had Fowler and, and Shoffley shooting 62. They overcompensated, I, I felt like, based on the venue. And the venue didn't allow these players to come in and practice ahead of the week. So you had guys like Rory that were looking up things on YouTube on how to play this course. And I just, I don't know, Chad, it, this, it, guys were eight under after the first round. Ten under won the tournament. So they did make the course more difficult. I just don't think it felt like the toughest test in, in golf considering all things that we, we are used to seeing. And keep this in mind, when Johnny Miller shot 63 for the all-time lowest score at the Open, only three other players broke par that day, 
And that was a final round 63 for Johnny Miller. Meanwhile, you have a record and a round that is that significant that falls not once but twice on Thursday and ends up down the stretch without a ton of drama, despite Clark nearly giving it away with back-to-back bogeys with four holes to play. Are you with me on this? Did, did you feel like we were watching a major championship? Yes, I, I didn't, yes and I, no. I didn't until like 8 o'clock last night, Central, where we were finally seeing the final four or five holes play out. Yeah, I, I would say yes and no. I, I quadrupled my intake of hearing the term marine layer over the weekend. I can guarantee yeah. you that. I never heard that more times in my life. And I, and I also, I never knew that a marine layer was some mystical and magical way to just go way below par. When they had the marine layer and the cloud cover and the conditions on Thursday, it unlocked some mystery cheat code for an old video game that we've never seen before on this course. And then the rest of the weekend was like any other U.S. Open where the conditions were a little bit more difficult, the greens were difficult, and the scores leveled out for that reason. Primetime golf is awesome. I really enjoyed the 6 to 8.30 central time that I was watching this window last night to take this in. I will still argue, and I know that I'm in the minority, I prefer morning majors more. I love the feeling of a British Open being over at 1 p.m. Central Time or noon and waking up early with the major uh, over across the Atlantic when it's the British Open. But this was the next best thing. I enjoyed the primetime element of it. Hutton, this did not, to me, feel as much like a major. And this is no knock on Wyndham Clark, who was great and really showed a lot of courage down the stretch where after he bogeyed the 15th, a hole that no one had bogeyed all day, I thought, well, now the wheels are going to come off and we're going to see another one of those stories of a guy who's never won a major that still won't win a major because he falls apart late. It didn't feel like a U.S. Open because Rory McIlroy failed us again. Guy can't hit a putt when it matters. I mean, he had every opportunity to make a run and win a major and end that drought yesterday and could not come up with anything. He was fine. He did well all weekend, did a good job, hit a lot of pars yesterday. But what takes a major from, okay, someone's going to win a major, there's going to be emotion, this is a big moment, this is cool to watch, to memorable, to I'm not going to forget it, is a showdown involving a superstar of the sport. Well, Rory McIlroy was the superstar of the sport that was right there, one or two strokes behind, throughout the day, and could not muster anything, could not come up with that one big moment and that one huge putt that would have put him dead even against Wyndham Clark and really put some pressure on him. Instead, he just came up completely short again, and this has become the story uh, with Rory McIlroy. So that is what took away from some of it to me. But Wyndham Clark's story is really cool. I love the whole part about you know him th- contemplating leaving the game when he was struggling after his mother passed away from breast ca- cancer when she was 55 and he was in college, battling through that, and now he's a major champion at 29 years old. First time he's made the cut at the U.S. Open. He'd been 0 for 2, um, and he previously at any major had finished no higher than 75th, and he ends up winning uh, against Rory. Rory McIlroy now 19 top 10s in his last 33 majors. But he's still, we've, wait, we've had to wait nine years and we'll continue to wait for him to get the next one. 
Um, so I, I was driving back home whenever the, was it the 15 or the 16 bunker fiasco where they couldn't find his ball in the bunker? That was, I, I believe, with Roy, you're saying? Yeah. That's where I think, it, I think that was 15. Because that's where, like, he did, he was, he could do no better than par from that point on. But I, I felt like that really played a factor. Like he buries the ball on the side of the bunker, uh, which is just unfortunate. But he also got a huge break because if it was in the sand then he, and he lost it, he would have had to take a drop. Yeah. But because it was in that whatever we call that thicket that's above the sand, it got buried in the earth but he's, and he was able to take a club length. He's about a foot, a foot higher on that trajectory and that ball's rolling to the green. You know? Yeah. And I think the tournament changes from that aspect instead of going to the side of this, what looked like a cliff at Pebble Beach. It was very um, British Open looking. Yes, it was. The side of that bunker when he was looking for that. There's also, to me, few things more thrilling than a professional golfer in a desperate search for their ball I, in that three-minute window where Rory and Scotty Scheffler was helping him, and they are just in a mad dash looking all through and I love the shrubbery the mic'd up stuff trying to find it. I love watching I, I don't, Chad, I just felt like Los Angeles Country Club didn't want this as much as the USGA did to host it. And they finally did it, and it's, the atmosphere was down. Um, you know, you've got multiple Kepka saying that it, you know the atmosphere sucked. It just it didn't feel like a major championship like we've seen in years past. And it's it, low scores aside here, it just uh, it, it lacked that feel of the U.S. Open. Let's get back to that uh, and leave the L.A. Country Club to the pretentious that don't want to host us anyway. Uh, as far as this is concerned, um, I was pulling for McElroy. More than Clark. Is that bad for me to admit? No. I'm pulling for the guy from Northern Ireland instead of the American in the U.S. Open. I, 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 I was consciously little, thinking that, too. I laid a little money on Wyndham Clark, so I was pulling for him. I normally would pull for the American. Um, but no, I, I think pulling for a story is very normal. Well, Fowler was the story, and then Fowler, Fowler or, wasn't the story. Yeah, Fowler quickly faded. He wasn't terrible yesterday, but he just was never going to be in contention. No, I, I don't think it's... It's weird at all to root for Rory in that situation. I mean, it's been a long time. But you're right. I mean, I, I can't get here and crush the guy because he's competitive in, all, in most of the majors. Yeah. He's right there, but he's just not getting it over the hump. And the story is he's not getting those big putts on, on closeout Sunday yeah. when he needs it. And, and Clark it's, it's not it like Wyndham Clark. Wyndham Clark birdied the first hole, and that was it. And he was able to win because Rory, par, 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 could not come through with a big putt. Chad, $3.6 million is what William Clark, or Wyndham Clark, excuse me, wins uh, as the, uh, the winner of the U.S. Open, his first major victory. But uh, it's estimated he'll take home $1.7 million after federal uh, payroll and state income taxes take into effect. That is quite the haircut on what is a, a, a record payout of $3.6 million. Um, Bob Huggins resigns and is retiring from the game of, of basketball. He's a Naismith Hall of Famer as a coach, over 900 wins, uh, no championships, but long overdue based on the success rate that he's had. But he's resigning after 16 seasons at his alma mater after DUI charges over the weekend. And... The details are crazy. He's nearly three times the legal limit. Driving and gets pulled over. Not pulled over. He's, he's already... Uh, he has a blown tire. They're trying to get him to the side of the road. He can't 
like maneuver his vehicle uh, with a shredded tire and doesn't know where he is, doesn't know how he got there, where he was coming from, and he's in Pittsburgh and thinks he's in Columbus. This is uh, the same guy who had the, the homophobic slurs after a radio interview twice, not once, but twice, and West Virginia docked him a million dollars pay for the upcoming season, and they moved his, his contract to year to year. And within, what, two months, now we see him retiring after what is uh, another incident where it was the final straw. And didn't he start his night in Ohio at a basketball camp? No, it was, it, this, he was, I, I believe this took place at like 730 well, the he started his the, day. I feel like I, reading the story, he was at a basketball camp that day in like Northeast Ohio. But he had like a receipt from gone, somewhere at, at noon or something. Yeah, but then he went over the Pennsylvania state line and had a receipt. He had a trash trash can in his car full of beer cans. Yeah, and bottles. On his drive and bottles. And then was driving, got pulled over in Pittsburgh. I mean, sad story, honestly. I, it, he says in his... his uh, his statement that he's resigning, that he's going to now go get help. And, I mean, look, it's it's not much of a stretch now to say what everybody thought when they heard the audio. Yeah. He was drunk in the morning when I, he said those things. I thought that, too. It, you, it's hard to speculate, but he said he was slurring his speech when they were asking him the questions, and he was joking and using the, the homophobic slurs. Well, about the Xavier fan so, base. I mean, the guy needs help. He's acknowledging that now, and it seems like he's going to go get that done. 69 years old also for Bob Huggins. I, I would say this is probably the end of the coaching road for him. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I don't think this is a rehab. It, it, I mean, it's being back. termed as a retirement as well. Yeah, he said, I'm retiring from West Virginia in his statement. Yeah. It, but, I mean, guys retire and come back. I'm saying I don't see that being a possibility. For Huggins. I don't think so either. And the year-to-year -year aspect of it, there were many people that thought this was the final year anyway for him at West Virginia. But the Mountaineers stuck by him. You got Morgantown that'll, you know, file you away. He's kind of hidden there. And with this incident piled on to everything that took place live on the radio, uh, where he doubled down on what he said with the radio host there that morning, uh, there, there was no other choice here. No other choice, but... West Virginia is one of the rare major jobs in a power conference that I feel like you could get away with a lot. And I'm willing to go ahead and say Bob Huggins got away with a lot while he was there. This is not the only occasion. I'm sure something like this has happened. But you can insulate yourself in a place like Morgantown and be protected by the university brass and by fans there where you can't with some bigger brands across the country. It's a lot more corporate at other jobs. And if you're out seen doing crazy things in your college town, you're probably going to be out of a job. Wasn't the case of Bob Huggins until it was absolutely necessary yeah. with this I, latest news. I wonder if Ren Baker, who's the AD there, if, if he's already got his list going based on what happened with the Cincinnati radio issues. Um, but how much does Huggins have a say on this next hire? I would hope none. There are a lot of coaches that have connections to Huggins that are coming out in support of him, you know, releasing statements, saying things publicly. And I, I mean, forgive me here, but I'm automatically thinking they're lobbying to take that job. Well, and I wonder if you do an interim situation. Are you too deep into the game now where transfer portal is pretty much done? Your team's there. Yeah, and the players don't like the decision, by They the don't way. like it, but do, that's, and that's my point. Do you stay with someone on staff the players know – 
and say, hey, here's your one-year tryout, and then if things are going well, well, we'll give you a contract extension and stick with an assistant? Yeah. Or do you take this as a chance to go poach someone good at a mid-major or someone who's disgruntled somewhere else where you could have some upheaval right now in college basketball? Because West Virginia's a good job. That's a, that's a big step up for a lot of coaches in some mid-major spots. Are they going to go get a proven winner at a lower level, or are they going to stick with someone on Huggins' staff? My guess would be they're going to stick with someone on Huggins' staff in an interim basis just to keep the continuity yeah. going with this season. And I think that plays into the theory that it was a one-more-year type scenario for him anyway, and they had someone waiting in the wings for, for why they, they backed him the way they did a month or so ago. Coming up, Bobby Carpenter about to join us. We'll discuss the new scheduling across the top two conferences in college football and the two programs that are significantly better off because of the new scheduling model. It's Penn State and Texas A&M, where high expectations are already there, and now they're rising based on the fact they're not having to chase the teams in front of them every year. If you followed me throughout the years, you know I'm a South Dakota girl at heart who grew up in a ranching family. And I know that America First isn't just a political movement. It's a kitchen table issue, literally. You know, I always support American family-owned companies, ranchers and farmers who put high-quality meat products on the tables of their fellow Americans. And my friends at Omaha Steaks are the experts. With Father's Day right around the corner, what better gift to give dad than the experience of world-class Omaha Steaks? This package includes a mouth-watering assortment of dad's grilling favorites like Omaha Steaks butcher's cut top sirloins, juicy boneless pork chops, deli-style gourmet jumbo franks, and their legendary Omaha Steaks burgers. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code OUTKICK at checkout. Get mouth-watering gift packages starting at just $99. And as a bonus, use promo code OUTKICK to get $10 off your order. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Ehop Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. You can join us across the OutKick Network hot mic with Hutton and Withrow. On the Outkick channel on YouTube, search out Outkick. We hope you'll subscribe. You can join Chad in the chat and give that thumbs up, that like button, and uh, we hope you'll share with uh, your friends as you're watching or listening today on this great radio partner. Bobby Carpenter joins us, Sirius XM college football analyst, com contributor with us weekly here as well. Bobby, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Hope Father's Day was awesome. Yeah, it was uh, pretty good. You know, what What better way to celebrate Father's Day than just a, a plethora of my kids' sports? So, you know what? Got to get up early, do a swim meet. We had some lacrosse, had all kinds of things. But not a bad not a bad way to end the, end the weekend. Not a bad 10-year-old birthday party either for Cullen. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. shows up to his party. Did I see this? Your son? Well, do tell. Yeah, so... You know, one of the things being over there at Ohio State and being around the guys, it's uh, something that I actually did. One of my current business partners now, when his son, I think, was eight years old, he was now like 30. I was playing, I went over there, and he owned some campus bars. He used to kind of take care of us there. So Nick Mangold and I went to his son's birthday party. So I was like, you know what? I had my oldest, he's he'll be 14 this year, so like five, six years ago. Asked some of the guys to come over, Denzel Ward, Sam Hubbard. Um, you know, stop by. 
great dudes. J.K. Dobbins, Tom Borland did it a couple of years ago. And then finally now my third son, he's in the, the era where that's cool. And, you know, he's old enough to understand, but not so old that it's kind of weird. They're, so all the, all his friends came over, went over to Woody Hayes and Marvin Harrison and Kyle McCord, who uh, is one of the guys kind of vying to be the quarterback uh, next year for Ohio State, and was Marvin's high school teammate. Um, those guys stopped by, unbelievably gracious, took pictures, signed some autographs, you know, guys asked some questions, told them some stories. It was, uh, it was a pretty cool experience. So um, it, it's amazing that, you know, I, I told Marvin's dad this when I saw him spring ball. He did a heck of a job raising raising a young man because as good a football player is, I mean, he might be a better guy. Bobby Carpenter uh, with us. We can describe him the same way. College football analyst with us here on Outkick, uh, Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. So um, I, I, I know you, I think you likely feel the same way we do about Big Ten and SEC. Eventually, it's not happening this year. Uh, doing away with the divisions. We're going to see um, some of the same rivalries, some that are not. I, I, I look at the SEC schedule and I really like it. Meanwhile, I, I look at the Big Ten, and while it was always lopsided with Penn State chasing Ohio State and Michigan, Bobby, I feel like James Franklin and the Nittany Lions made out great with this this new scheduling model because they're only going to play Ohio State or Michigan uh, every other year. That they, They'll rotate annually, and they pick up Rutgers and Michigan State, I believe. Uh, whenever USC joins, they'll also have USC on that schedule. But that is a huge scheduling victory for James Franklin, who does not have to chase Ohio State and Michigan in the division and doesn't have to face both of them uh, during a season where he's trying to get into a 12-team playoff moving forward. Yeah, it's kind of, it was kind of frustrating for me because when you know Ohio State, rather than Penn State, joined the Big Ten uh, back in the early 90s, they used to have two protected rivalries, and then you would rotate the other eight teams since there was 11 teams at that point. And so Ohio State has played Penn State every season. They've been scheduled to play them every year because then they went to the divisions. They've always been in the East. And it's been a nice rivalry. It's been something that I've really enjoyed. Now, you know, the past 15 years, has it been beneficial to Penn State to play Ohio State? And then you lot Michigan in there on top of it? Probably not. But the fact that they don't have any built-in rivals, like for me, if I was a Penn State fan or even a player, like who are you supposed to look forward to every year? Everybody has something to circle on your calendar. So you looked around for all the building rivalries, and Ohio State had Michigan. Uh, Michigan had Ohio State and Michigan State. Iowa had three protected rivalries. Like everybody had at least something. There's a USC-UCLA uh, rivalry that will take place every year. But Penn State doesn't have any. And so, they're yeah. gonna, like you said, there's going to be teams that roll on their back and forth, and they'll never have to play in the consecutive season. But also with that, like every place, and it, it is, you know, it, Collegiate as it sounds, every team, you know, they've got like a countdown clock to the rivalry game. There's someone every year that you play and you always talk about it. Even if your year isn't as good as you would hope and maybe you don't win the conference, maybe you don't go to the CFP, but if you beat your rival, like there's something intrinsically important about that and the season doesn't feel like a total loss. And for Penn State, I just, I mean, I feel for those guys because I don't know what they're going to have like that to be able to simulate that now. And I think James Franklin I don't know, maybe he didn't want to play Ohio State and Michigan. Like, he didn't want to have either one of them on there consistently. But I honestly think it was one of the highest-rated games of the year for college football. It's a great recruiting tool. Man, I know it's a tough game to win, but, guys, I'm trying to get more high-quality football games 
on te- on television. Like I, I don't need to see, you know, all these crazy non-conference games where you know the score is incredibly lopsided. Bobby, it's um, <laughs> Pete Thamel reporting that there's two teams out there: North Carolina, Virginia that both the SEC and the Big Ten covet to, to some degree, and they're both vetting as a possible package deal. I believe Virginia makes more sense for the Big Ten and North Carolina makes more sense for the SEC. Just culturally, geographically, even though those states are, are bordering each other, I feel like that makes more sense. If you can, give us the pitch for why Virginia and North Carolina, if it is a package deal, and both move together, why those two programs make more sense for the Big Ten as opposed to the SEC? It's, it's interesting because I know Virginia's been floated around with the Big Ten um, recently. I would have thought that they would try to get Miami, try to get the South Florida market with it. Uh, what, the Big Ten, right, wrong, or different. I mean, one of the things they care about a lot, at least the, and the presidents are the ones that are making these decisions, is you know, the academic status. And Virginia and North Carolina are both very prestigious state schools. They've got great programs. They're AAU members. They've got all the qualifications. You know, they've got, you know, North Carolina has great basketball. I mean, their football is ebbed and flowed, but you know, they've made a big investment into it. And really, that is that is the team for the state of North Carolina. So for the SEC, I just off the top of my head, I don't believe that there is a university that is within the SEC that is located in North Carolina because you've got the big four and they're all with the ACC. So, I mean, I could see it going either way. Um, you know, Virginia, like I said, they're a great academic school. and They've had decent football at times, but they've never had anything consistent. And their basketball, obviously, has been pretty good the last five to seven years. But, you know, basketball doesn't drive the bus monetarily. And then, you know, the reality is, too, that both of those schools, you know, they're big in lacrosse. You know, North Carolina, they've, they've got good baseball. They're really good athletic departments as what they're trying to invest in and, and making sure that their sports are good across the board. So they have a lot of stuff to them. It's just the reality is like, I don't know if Virginia's bringing enough cachet for football. And I don't know if they're bringing enough market strength where you could overlook, you know, the fact that they're really a, about a 500 football club about the last decade. North Carolina is a far better uh, asset in my opinion. How much longer do you think we're going to wait until the big 12 begins to pluck some of these schools from the Pac-12. Is it coming up early next month? Because that's when we've seen conference realignment news the last two years. Uh, Colorado, Utah, others. If they're going to move, if you're them, do you move now? And is the Big 12 worth jumping to based on the scenarios that are out there currently? Well, I think they're trying to get that TV deal finalized to see what it looks like. Um, And the the one thing I have heard in the Pac-12 that now – they're they're going to go to a disproportionate share model where I think you're going to be able to get Oregon, you're going to get Washington, some of these other schools that may be better assets, and they're going to drive more of the revenue dollars. They're going to get a larger share. Now, I don't view, I've never really viewed that as a sustainable model. That's not what the Big Ten does. That's not what the SEC does. That's what the Big 12 did with Oklahoma and Texas. And as you saw, there begins to be animosity. And if you're always able to ask for more, you're always going to keep asking more when you go to re- redo your grant of rights. So I don't know if that's the best way to go, but that's probably the only way that they can, you know, satiate the, the you know, the, the two big schools in the North. But the reality is if Colorado decides to leave, I've been told that, um, that the, uh, both Arizona schools and Utah would be right behind them to the, 
uh, Big Twelve. If that's the case, what, what do you have out west? And, and, and I mean, you're you have, not you're not mentioning those any of those four when you discuss compensation for certain programs that deserve more than the others. Like to me, that's a no brainer for the four that you're you're discussing now for the Big Twelve to go ahead and move if you're going to move uh, because you can do it and not pay a penalty currently. There's no penalty, and the one thing that the Big Twelve negotiated in their TV rights that any uh, existing Power Five member that joins the conference they will add on another share for the revenue. So you're not okay. cutting the pie. You're adding in more slices. And so this is big. So the Big 12, I mean, they can go over there and get whoever they want from the Pac-12 because everybody that comes is going to get the same amount of money that they are that every other Big 12 member is currently getting. What do you believe Deion Sanders is worth to the media agreement for the Pac-12? I think a lot. I mean, right now, you got to look at what he was able to do in a short time. And ESPN broadcast their spring game. I mean, you couldn't get anyone to broadcast their games the last five years. They've been so bad. They've sold all their season tickets. Like, he is a walking soundbite. People know who he is. He's like a black bum Phillips up there wearing that cowboy hat. He looks sweet. Yeah. Like, it, is, it is a good look. I agree. So, I think he's got uh, – he has a ton of momentum. They said he's going to be involved in whether or not Colorado leaves the Big tw- – uh, joins the Big 12, which to me is crazy because coaches always tell you that they're the last to know. Never would they be consulted. So I don't know if that's you know their president, AD, you know, cry, trying to placate to Dion a little bit. Because the other thing is, gentlemen, who's to say how long Dion Sanders is going to be at Colorado? I mean, you tell me if Florida State opened up or you know, he could go jump to the NFL or the, you know Miami opened up, he wouldn't take a job like that versus Colorado or maybe something happened down in the state of Texas. And I think part of the reason he may want to get to the Big 12 is that opens up the Texas market, which is where he lived a long time and played for the Cowboys. And so that would give him more of an inherent recruiting advantage there. But um, <laughs> there, to me, he is the most valuable asset probably in the Pac-12 outside of Washington and Oregon. Opened up discussing Penn State out of the Big 10 with the new scheduling model. Let's close with Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. First, uh they're not going to have Alabama uh, on the annual schedule. That that alone benefits them uh, and not playing in the West. But, Bobby, uh, no annual meeting there. Next season, their road slate in conference is Florida, South Carolina, Mississippi State, and Auburn. That's great, considering what some of the other road slates look like in the Southeastern Conference. It has been time for Jimbo Fisher to win. Uh, number one, what do you think this scheduling model does for, for the Aggies? Number two, do you think Jimbo Fisher makes it to next year's schedule based on the pressure that is on him to win now, despite the buyout that it would take to kick him out? So, as you mentioned this, they got a little bit, like you said, the Penn State treatment. You know, Alabama and LSU, we're not playing them every year. So, that's that's a huge that's a huge win where you don't have both of those behemoths that you're going to have to take on annually. And, Hoping if you can get a split, that's pretty good. I don't know. This year, they've got to win at least eight or nine games. There's no way that they could finish six and six again, I think, and keep his job. And I, part of it is going to be the success of the Bobby Petrino experiment. I mean, Jimbo Fisher is a guy that's used to being in charge, used to calling plays. Apparently, he's given that up or given the illusion he's giving up, and he's bringing Bobby Petrino, another guy who is used to being in charge and used to calling plays. And maybe this thing works great. And you know what? And they go score you know, 49 points in the opener, and they cruise along, and they've got some high-powered offense that looks really good. But if it doesn't go well, and you start to see 
Jimbo try to overrule Petrino and Petrino snapping back. I mean, you could have a very, very volatile situation on that coaching staff, which it'll be high levels of entertainment. But I don't know if you're a booster there or you work in the athletic department. Not only then would you not be winning, but now you also have a sideshow with these two guys, which I don't think anybody really is signing up for. Bobby Carpenter joins us uh, weekly here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. You can follow him on social at bcarp3. Uh, Bobby, thank you as always, man. And, uh, you know, next time we hang out, I want to chug some garage beer with you. I've been seeing this all over your social. Well, it's good stuff, man. You guys would like it. So uh, we'll have to get some down in Nashville for you. Let's do it. Yeah, sounds good. There's uh, Thanks, Bobby, Bobby Carpenter uh, there, college football analyst, Sirius XM Channel 84 uh, is where you can find him uh, in the afternoons, mornings, Columbus Radio. Can't wait to see how things play out with A&M now with Bobby Petrino there that Bobby was just talking about. Interesting comparison to me in the Big Ten is Mel Tucker, who's got a mammoth contract yeah. who greatly underachieved a year ago. Now he's lost his quarterback to Auburn in the transfer portal. But I feel like everyone there in East Lansing is in a similar spot where they just got to pray that it works out because that contract is such an albatross. They paid to keep him there after one good year. So that's going to be an interesting spot also. It's not to to Jimbo territory yet in terms You're right of to angst, bring him up. I, I, but he's getting paid a ton. Over $9 million. Yeah. And, and he's in a forgotten spot. And if you started listing off coaches under on the hot seat, Mel Tucker is, at least for me, not top of mind. Michigan and, and, State's program, not top of mind. And a program that does not have the resources of A&M and the recruiting footprint of A&M. And, oh, by the way, they compete with Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, some of the best programs in college football. Coming up, there's an ESPN writer who says that Major League Baseball is not diverse enough. Details on that, and we'll give our opinion next on Hot Mike. Hey, I'm a dad, and I know what dads want for Father's Day. They want steak, world-class Omaha steaks. Look, dads deserve top-quality American beef, and that's what you'll get with Omaha steaks as their Father's Day gift. I gift Omaha steaks constantly to guests on my show. Urban Meyer, the football coach, Mike Krzyzewski, the basketball coach, Kevin Pritchard, general manager of the Indiana Pacers, just to name a few, have received the gift of steak, Omaha steaks from me. Order mouth-watering gift packages starting at just $99, and as a bonus, use promo code DAN to get $10 off your order. Give the gift that I give to guests on my show. Mouth-watering gift packages from Omaha steaks starting at just $99, and as a bonus, use promo code DAN to get $10 off your order. Sack up and get your dad Something he'll love this Father's Day. Coming up, Jordan Love. He's taking over for Aaron Rodgers in more ways than one. But we'll find out if he's as consistent as Rodgers against the Chicago Bears. Also, so but, shocking that all of his teammates just love the guy. You know, best quarterback in the league, maybe. They're, they just love him. It's, that's the most overplayed praise. headline is when a new the, guy takes over and teammates oh, are complimentary of the new guy. Or, you know, rookies. or that, No one's had a bad offseason. A tale ever. as old as time is ever. overstating 
how good someone is when they're the new leader of your team <laughs> and the new quarterback. Man, this guy might be the best ever. Not just the best right now. It might be the best ever, this Jordan Love guy. That's how bound. good he's been. Super Bowl bound. Still waiting on DeAndre Hopkins to make up his mind. Uh, visited uh, the Titans and the Patriots last week. Uh, Packers are also rumored to be in the mix there. Just tying that in with Love. They could use some DeAndre Hopkins love uh, in Green Bay with some other weapons uh, being added to the mix. Chad, um, there is a group called the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport. And there's one ESPN writer, at least uh, he was asked or approved to write this column for ESPN. He's not a full-time writer who says that Major League Baseball is not diverse enough, either uh, racially or uh, through gender, and uh, points to all these different stats uh, about the, the lack of African-Americans uh, playing in, in baseball, um, but fails to mention what the NBA is currently consisting of, uh, where only 3% of the NBA players are Latino, 0.4% are Asian, 16% are, are Caucasian, and no one says that's a problem either. Uh, and I, I don't think it's a problem because the best players are playing in the NBA. I would say the same for Major League Baseball. And the, based on the, the, the C-plus grade, I, I'm sitting here going, like, don't we, didn't we already know this? Like, the direction of where Major League Baseball has gone, the, 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 the players that are at the top of the game in the entire world are coming out of the Dominican Republic. Uh, they're not coming out of the United States, by and large. The best player in the world is Asian in Shohei Otani, and he's compensated like that. Yeah, it's all about, to me, this is far less about diversity and more about aspirations and the aspirations of people from different countries of what sport their best athletes want to play. Well, keep playing. And want to conquer. And keep playing. Want to keep playing. Here's, this is not just some you know poorly kept secret out there. The best athletes in every country could pick a sport at a young age and excel in it. It's about what they want to stay into and what they want to keep playing. When I grew up, all of my favorite baseball players were African-American players. Eric Davis, Ricky Henderson, David Justice. I can go on down the list. Those were the players I liked watching more than anyone else. So I also want to see more African-American kids grow up in the game and continue on through Major League Baseball. I would love to see that. But I think here's what happens psychologically. And it happens with white dudes in basketball, too. There are a lot more white guys playing Major League Baseball than there are African Americans. There's a lot more Latin American players playing Major League Baseball. And that's because everyone in the countries they grow up in, they're wanting to grow up and play baseball or soccer. Why does America fall behind the rest of the world in soccer? Because almost every other country, all of their best athletes start in soccer, stay in soccer, excel in soccer. And in the United States, the best athletes out there oftentimes are not being gravitated towards soccer. That's not what they're drawn to. They're drawn to what they see most of. NFL football is what they want to play. They want to play in the NBA. They want to play Major League Baseball. But for a long time, there's a lot of black kids in America who see a lot of African-Americans playing in the NBA, and that's what they want to play, or in the NFL, and they want to play that. I think psychologically, that has a big effect, and it just perpetuates one towards the other. It's not Major League Baseball's fault for that. If there's any lack of diversity, 
Well, that's not the problem for them. Well, I, I see this, and I think you can make the same argument for the lack of other ethnicities in other major league sports. It's just how you want to frame it. Yeah. And and they they decided to go with uh, the the selective. Uh, casting of Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's not their kind of the diversity other. they want. Right. Right. The Latin but American diversity I do, or foreign-born diversity, that's not good enough I for do them. Think they though, just want more African-Americans. I, I, I do think there is uh, – it's not like you just snap your fingers and change that um, to, to what you're saying. Uh, I, I think there's a deeper conversation on how many kids start out playing baseball versus how many continue to stick with it. Um, and I, I think this changed around our generation in high school, Chad. I really do. Because uh, at least, and you or I from within what, sixty miles, a hundred miles from each other. Yep. Um, and it, when we were in high school, and at least where I went to high school, the coaches were competing against each other on which sport the best players were going to play, and that turned out to be, in many cases, basketball. Uh, the basketball coach won out on that argument on where you're going to spend your time and your year-round assets were going to be focused on getting better at one sport instead of playing multiple. And I, I think once you get out of the junior league and, and Babe Ruth league, by and large, you pick a sport once you become a freshman in high school, uh, one or two. I don't know of many that are playing three or four. I mean, in today's NFL draft, how many do we see? with He played basketball and football. Not many baseball players. Not many soccer players. Uh, track, baseball, no, excuse me, track, basketball, and football are the, the predominant sports that we see for the American, the average American athlete that are making it to the highest level. And, and, yes. and you, you could reverse it if you went and, and discussed Dominican Republic. It's soccer and baseball, right, on what you're growing up playing. And these guys end up becoming the best players in the world by and large, the most consistent, dominant players at that sport. There's also, I mean, there's so many factors in this, but I think for some diversity committee to come up with, you know, you got a C plus because grade, you don't have yeah. enough black players is ludicrous. And also it's a problem Major League Baseball has tried to address with the RBI program in inner cities, well, trying to get more and with the new rules. They're trying to get more minorities on playing the game yeah. and all of that. But at some point, great athletes are going to make a decision. How often do you see uh, an NBA player or a football player in the NFL or NBA that says, hey, by the way, this guy was drafted in the 17th round out of high school in, in baseball, but they chose a different sport. It happens all the time, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we could unpack this a lot of different ways. Travel baseball is very expensive at a young age. It takes well, more time commitment and equipment commitment now there's fall to play ball. the game. Yeah, I mean, again, you, you have to – ba Basketball and football. It's unfair. is way the, more organized by a school the, or a program. The AAU circuits, the the different things you have to do in the off-season now. It's in-season if you're in – it's in-season for the next sport you want to play, but it's the off-season program for the sport that you love growing up, whatever it is, and that coach expects 100% attention in that direction. And that, that's very unfortunate, but that's, that's the, very, the very specific lane that everyone's focused on now. You know, you, you pick your, your, your craft and you stick with it. And if you don't, you don't it's, play. Yeah. You, don't, you feel like you're losing out on an opportunity to prove your, your starting quality or you're going to get your minutes as a, as a sophomore or junior. Well, and also, you, again, the psychological part of it, right? Like we talk about representation all the time. Yeah. You know, I, I want to turn on a TV and see people who look like me. 
You know, you hear this all the time, or there's not enough people who look like me or are like me when I'm watching a sport or, or watching a, a television show or a movie or, or whatever it may be. Kids tend to gravitate towards that as well. And, I mean, I'll give you an example. I, I didn't do that. I played basketball growing up in baseball. I was way naturally better at baseball, but to Hutton's point, you get pushed by your school a lot of times towards basketball over baseball in different instances. And I was one that I liked basketball more. Well, I played my first AAU tournament at 14 or 15. And guess what? I quickly realized when I played some teams with inner city players that were a lot better and a lot more talented than me, probably wasn't going to play in the NBA. Didn't stop me from watching the NBA and aspiring to that and wanting to do that one day. But had I stuck with baseball, yeah, maybe I could have played in college. Wouldn't have been a major league or anything, but maybe I could have gotten some scholarship money having done that. There are now athletes making that business decision at the age of 9 or 10 and going into one sport. I didn't have the foresight to make that decision. I liked basketball because I liked it more. But I think the Simply, parents... it wasn't me making a decision on I could go further in one sport or the other. I could have gone further in baseball, but I chose basketball because I liked it more. How many great athletes are making that call, or are they just saying, I've got a better future here, so I'm going to go in this direction? I think it's a lot of business decisions being made also. And a way out, right? For of a lot what, of people. Of what happened, uh, what you saw your friend do or, or the, the best player to come through your school, what that, what that guy or, or girl ended up doing for that matter, whether it's softball or, ba- or basketball in, in women's sports. But I, I do think that the parents now are around our age of the 9, 10-year-olds, yep. right? Yeah. And it was w- when we were in school playing, the coaches were bitching and moaning about who was going to get the so-and-so player to stick around during baseball season or during football season, you know, focus on basketball, focus on football. Coaches whatever. would fight over athletes all the time. They want you For running track, and wanted. that's about it. Because yeah. that keeps you in shape year-round. That was the focus. And it's also the, the coaches that don't like each other, right? Yeah. and That's, look, that's also, I, too. It's, it's, it's a competitive thing when you're recruiting down the hallway. I just I go I don't back think that's to, the sole focus, but I do think that plays a factor. Well, and again, great athletes can do almost anything. Right. Yes. If you're one yes. of the elite athletes, if you started a sport young and just stuck stuck with it, you could do it for a long time. I, I'm willing to bet Jim Brown it, playing lacrosse, it, it, for instance. The guys who aren't six eleven, seven feet tall. If you are six two to six six playing in the NBA, those NBA players are good enough athletes that if they would have decided, you know what, I'm just gonna stick with baseball starting at seven years old and we could go in reverse and start that over, they'd probably be in the majors because they're that good of an athlete. So a lot of this is just about young athlete choice and not about some decision from a league to make things more diverse or less diverse. Well, but also, like, let's, let's also point this out from ESPN's perspective. They've got this guy riding uh, who's not the full-time rider. You know, he's, he lists something else on his bio. Uh, this is nothing but the, the, the clickbait BS. By the way, this happens all over the place, but in ESPN's perspective. Who are, who are they to determine, you know, we are the diversity police. We are going to go on patrol and have these report cards. And we're going to have a, a guy come in that says that Major League Baseball is not diverse enough. And we're going to leave out the fact uh, that you can flip the argument either any way you want to on any sport based on the percentages of how things you know, play out globally for the sport that we're covering. It's ridiculous. And it's not always sinister. Exactly. Everything has to be sinister. I'm not buying it. Sorry. I'm going to use common sense on any story. 
I'm not going to just read something and be like, you know, this headline, man, Major League Baseball. They, Major League Baseball must they, be racist based really on this holding, headline. They're really holding people back uh, from, you know, they're not calling up enough uh, diversity uh, from the minors, uh, not drafting enough. Get out of here with that. It's just not the case. It's stupid, and you made a good point. The reasoning behind something happening like this is not always sinister. It could just be that a lot of young African-Americans don't like baseball and don't want to play it. And guess what? It's America. That's fine. If they're dominating the NBA and you want to go play basketball and you're dominating youth sports and want to stay with it, stay with it. Play in the NFL. It's not baseball's problem of what race excels in the sport ever. It's a meritocracy. It's why we love sports. It's a meritocracy. We'll it's get not back about to picking sports and choosing. When we return, Jordan Love, he's picking on the Bears, just like Aaron Rodgers did. And is it worthy of that? We'll find out. <laughs> 